You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we all want to become clowns. I'm your host, Justin M. Wisniewski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I don't know how my voice sounds to everybody listening, but I feel slightly congested. Uh, I have a slight burn in my sinuses. Uh, I'm pretty tired right now. We, we ran a tournament over the last it's long COVID. Three- it's long COVID. Well, I, I wasn't going to say long COVID, but we, we we ran a tournament over the last three days and I had to be the tech support guy. So at every table, we have a computer that's connected to track wrestling, which that's where people keep score on and the brackets are and everything. And people kept disconnecting them and messing up the streaming. And I had to run around and interact with everyone, which I then realized, William, as you just brought up. That I was interacting with everyone, and these are people from across the state. There are people from Georgia there. So the odds of me not having COVID right now are pretty, pretty <laughs> low. Walking super spreader event, Justin. I'm a walking that. Well, that was a super spreader event for me. If there was any person who was going to catch something at that tournament, it was me. So I could very well have COVID right now. I mean, last night I had a hard time sleeping, I had a sore throat, uh, and now. You know, I, I have these other symptoms, and the sore throat has thankfully gone away. I think it'll go away with rest. I mean, that's the number one thing people don't talk about when you're sick. Right? Just get rest. People don't get rest when they're sick. And also, if you're already not physically fit, and then you need to rest, like, your body is already expending resources dealing with your lack of physical fitness, and that it's even harder to have that rest properly be used by your body to heal itself so there's a whole lot there my point in all of this is just to inform you the listener not to make points about covid because that's that's passe nowadays but when we talk about the first story i'm just going to be like you know what i really don't give a fuck and part of that is i don't think there's a reason to give a fuck but also like this week like i don't know we'll see how it goes that's all i'm telling the listeners that's all i'm telling the listeners but also that's that's probably because I'm just trying to follow the crown prince of crime right now. So, but before we continue down the farce rabbit hole, let me introduce my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. I have a, I owe the president a big thank you. As commander in chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. I, 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 welcome to clown world. This is great. Me as a transgender American, I'm now free. Well, I don't, I mean, he obviously really meant transgender, right? But I think it's funnier that he said transgender. I don't <laughs> think that's any sort of Freudian slip, but I do think it's funny to pretend like everyone's trying to transition into being clowns. Like, just that imagery <laughs> is hilarious, especially after the whole Joker movie, which yeah. actually rolls into all the talk about Ted Kaczynski this week too. So there's a lot of where Biden is 
William, I don't think he's senile, do you? No, no, no. He's, I mean, he's attempting to read words from a teleprompter. Right. And uh, that's why we get things like transgester Americans. Right, because we went from two presidents who say what you will about them holistically as a commander-in-chief, but Obama and Trump were both very good public speakers. They're very good personalities. I mean, Trump's a media personality, right? And Obama was a hell of a speaker. So you go from that to Joe Biden, who's not as skilled at public speaking, and these mistakes, speaking-wise, look a lot a lot worse. And and that's just what makes it funny. Especially because when he steps on these things, it ends up being related to whatever's going on in the week, which makes it extra funnier. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, he's basically spouting random words out of his mouth. So yes. I think that uh, I think that the odds of anything coming out that's going to relate is sort of like the broken clock being right twice a day sort of thing. At least uh at least at the very least, it's not the uh, stream of nonsensical platitudes coming out of uh, the vice president's mouth. So, uh, you know, at least there's some substance in the person who's feeding the tele- teleprompter. But uh, with uh, Kamala Harris, it's all just, uh, you know, we're getting together to get together because getting together helps us get together. Like, it's just, yeah, it's completely mindless drivel. Well, yeah, and that's part of the reason, like, I don't really have like a burning hatred for Biden because I just think he's kind of a guy who means well, and maybe I don't agree with him politically and philosophically, but I don't really get a sense of malevolence from him. I just get a sense of, like, the dude lucked into this position because of everything that was going on in the world from, you know, he was the easy pick for Obama's vice president, and then because of that, they wanted to reward him, and they needed somebody inoffensive to put up against Trump. So he kind of became president. ineffective. Right. There's nothing he can do. He's not going to have his agenda. He's not. He doesn't have an agenda to push. I don't know. Like, that's what I was going to say. I don't think he has an agenda. I just kind of think like, remember um, when when people say, I'm just happy to be here. Right. I kind of feel like that's Joe Biden as president. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on and talk about some farce. I need some laughs. Let's go. Some laughs. Let's do it. That's because you're transgender. You need some laughs. Uh-huh. Shouldn't you be giving us the laughs if you're a transgester? Well, I'm still transitioning. Anyway, you're still transitioning. Okay. Well, let us transition into Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Does life really suck? Are we just complaining? I hope that this line goes on. Because I'm on a roll here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. The first amount of farce this week, William, is something that I feel obligated to talk about. And the reason I say that is I don't really give a fuck about it, but it seems like it's super important in our country's history, so I want to talk about it, but at the same time, I don't know if it actually is important or that's just the way the media is hyping it up. So I'm really interested in your perspective on this. So Trump was formally indicted this week, and according to a political, politi- political, Politico article, uh, 
a, a new unsealed federal indictment charges former President Trump with 31 counts of willful retention of classified records, as well as several counts related to his alleged effort to obstruct the investigation. And then they have another article. It says the startling, damning details in the Trump indictment. And part of why I don't give a fuck about this, William, is these startling, damning details didn't really shock me. And I wasn't really like, oh, my God, this is startling. I was just like, okay. Now, to be clear, this is all kind of dumb on Trump's part, and it fits the narcissism I think he has. But at the same time, that makes it not surprising to me. So there are pictures in this article of, like, boxes that supposedly have documents in them. And they literally look like boxes you have in an office that you use when you you leave your office. Like, if you were going to shoot a movie about somebody getting fired, they would carry out their stuff in those boxes. Everyone knows those boxes if if they've worked in an office. And then another part of the thing that was shocking was apparently he had some golf buddies and after golfing or before golfing with them, he was like, Oh, let me show you the, the documents I have from when I was president, which William, doesn't that sound exactly like what Donald Trump would do? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man, like part of why this is so controversial is people are saying that, Biden is using the presidency to get rid of his chief rival for the presidency. But even that seems like 40 chess. And what I mean by that, William, is, is Trump even really his primary rival? Or are they just trying to turn him into the primary rival because they know they can beat him because they spent eight years talking about how evil Trump is? How yeah. much of this is actually legitimately <laughs> political in the sense that this is the American political system and this is where our culture is at? Or is it political in the sense of the machinations of the Democratic Party? I, I don't know. It seems like it seems like they've invested a lot in Trump being the boogeyman. And yes. the fact that it's not going to be Trump running or, well, <clears throat> Trump may not be the front runner, I guess is the right way to phrase it. Um, then that that kind of spills their plans right like this you're right the media is trying to make this a huge story and it's certainly hitting amongst uh my more leftist friends out here you know they're you know but but of course they still think it's like nuclear codes or something in there right um and not just like you know like you characterized it uh as looking like papers you would find in an office when you're when you're getting fired it's looks like it's just the drivel that wasn't wasn't that important right there's a right. There's and he some... even says, apparently, oh, I could have declassified this when I was president, but I didn't, which to me is communicating. Well, these aren't that important. I just didn't go through the, the motions. Yeah, I didn't bother to go through the motions. Yeah, that I think some people are reading that and saying, oh, he's saying that that, you know, he's saying he's guilty in that. And maybe maybe not. I don't know. Like, that's the thing. When you see these indictments, you don't have any uh, none of the defense context is in there. Right. Um, right. But uh, and he but, could be technically guilty, but that's again, this is our our current culture's dropping of context and degrees. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious he has classified documents he probably shouldn't have. I don't think there's any way of getting around that. But at the same time, and I'm not, I'm, somebody could say this is whataboutism, and I'm I'm defending Trump. I'm not defending Trump, right? I, this is. Part of the reason I didn't vote when it was Trump versus Hillary, because they're both doing the same things. I think I've been clear about that from the beginning. Right. He can complain about the emails, but that's projection. You knew he would do something like this. Uh, My point in saying it, what I'm about to say, though, is 
we've never before gone after a former president for this. And am I really to believe, William, are we really to believe Donald Trump is the only former president to do this? Uh, absolutely not. In fact, we know every president's presidential library, they go through all these documents, right? And it just takes them a long time to get through all of them. And they always find classified documents mixed in with un- with uh, unclassified documents, right? And they, that's why the, they process all these documents, right? Like, the, and it takes them a lot years and years and years. I think I don't think they finished the Reagan ones till well into the nineties. Um, now, probably there were more documents back then, but uh, you know, more stuff on the computer today. But who knows, right? So, yeah, most certainly. Uh, every president has done this. So I guess our, I, that doesn't mean that maybe we shouldn't change it. I don't know. Uh, maybe the FBI could look, uh, maybe this is, maybe we could put our rose colored glasses on Justin and think now the FBI is going to hold every president to the same standard. But do we actually think that? I mean, I'd love to think that, but I, I have no idea. It, it's again, this is what you said. This seems to just be more Trump is the boogeyman and we need to make him the boogeyman because I mean, two months ago, Ron DeSantis was the front runner for, I would say, not only the Republican Party, but the presidency. Would you disagree with that? Not at all. I think you're right. I think he's I think he may I think he probably still is the front runner. Um, I think we we can't the media distortion field is going to be even greater than the last election cycle. And there's. With all this uh, transgester uh, stuff going on, I think there's a a huge grassroots effort, uh, uh, grassroots, not effort, but grassroots like uh, underculture, you know, much like we had the pollsters that that wanted to try to poll for Trump in the first uh, in his first election. And they were getting people who just would hang up the phone. I think you're going to get a lot of that this time, too, that people are going to not have the data they need to make these guesses. Yeah. And when you're talking about this, you know, would you say grassroots? Is that the word you used? Yeah, that's what I use. My name but the right one, though. Right. It's kind but of an undertow, grass- right? Right. An undertow. And that, that that's a better word, right? An undertow. Because it's hard to tell, dude, anymore what a real undertow is. Because when we're talking about DeSantis, I'd like to believe what you said. There's an undertow there. But at the same time, the other narrative that's being pushed besides the transgender thing is the Nazi thing. And I don't know if you saw yesterday, we're recording this on Sunday. So on Saturday, there were pictures and video of people with Nazi flags in Orlando. And they were on an overpass between I-4 and Darrow Carter Parkway. And then they were standing by and driving in the entrance to Disney World. And they were also supposedly, in the pictures they show, they're carrying a DeSantis 2024 flag (laughs) and supposedly they're DeSantis supporters. And look, these people supposedly showed up a year ago. Well, so go ahead before I go into what I was going to say. Why are you laughing? Because this sounds like a 4chan meme brought to life. Like this sounds like trolling. (laughs) Like (laughs) it, it sounds like trolling and it's hard to tell if it's real or not. And I'm not one of these. It sounds like a stone toss comic. It sounds like a stone toss comic. Uh, right. So it's hard to even tell anymore what's real. Like on one hand, DeSantis is supposed to be a Nazi and Trump's supposed to be a Nazi. But then what's the other side pushing? Transgenderism. Yeah. Right. Why, why is it? Why does it not seem like the conversation? And this is the farce to me about all this. You know, we can go into the indictment and all of this. 
does it not seem nowadays that the farce is transgenderism versus Nazism? Like those are the two ca- the two camps we're being pushed into. Yes, which yes. I suppose either, is an ironic you're word. Either transgender or a Nazi. That is true. Yeah, it, it, am I imagining that, or is that no. what the the conversation seems to be around? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna guess that the people driving that were one of those uh, non-white white supremacists, right? It had to be like uh, a mix. I've uh, always seen Asian a couple pictures. Hispanic. Uh, I'm just saying we've got to make the meme complete, right? To be meme complete, uh, to be uh, uh, you know perfect farce, it needs to be a uh, uh, um, probably uh, like it needs to be like Blair White, but like Asian. You know what I mean? Blair Yellow. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. And then, then it's meme complete, right? It's got, you've got Nazi, you've got, uh, trying to, trying to trash and or support, uh, uh, DeSantis, who's, who's clearly a Nazi. And then, uh, and then all the, you have to pull in the race and, and ethnicity stuff somehow. And then it could be meme complete for the current zeitgeist. Well, and I think meme complete is a great way to look at even the rest of the farce we have here because the rest of these stories are very sort of like, are they real or are they memes? Because it's just sort of like, is this really what's going on? And this is really the way we're talking about yeah. things. This, this, I, I think that, I think one of the quotes for this next story, just to tease it even further was, uh, the Babylon B is, uh, having a hard time was the, was one of the tweets that I saw post this. Yeah, the, the, it's having a hard time because reality is becoming increasingly a satire of itself. Exactly. Well, and the, the next story that William is talking about is there is um, Molly Moon's, which is an ice cream shop. Uh, yeah, Molly Moon's Homemade Ice Cream LLC is suing the city of Seattle. Now, why are they suing the city of Seattle? Well, it's not 100% clear what the specific actions are. But there's a couple quotes I want to read here from the legal team and perhaps from the documents because it just says the legal team writes. So I assume that's from the documents, but it could also be a quote they pulled by interviewing them because this this I'm getting this quote from CapitolHillSeattle.com. I figured, William, I like to go local with articles. Yeah. So a lot of times stuff comes up or you'll send me something like you sent me something. What was it from this website? Uh it was a different website you sent me this article from. Do yeah, you remember what it was? Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Well, it's sort of a more, and I'm not accusing you of anything here, it's sort of a more biased website. So I, I like to go local, where I find where a story is. Like, even when I was reading, like, I was trying to Google a little bit about the supposed Nazis in Orlando. Like, I was reading local Orlando coverage. Because, I don't know, I think local coverage is more honest nowadays. I think it's less worried about agendas and more just getting the news out as quickly as possible because I don't think they have the resources and they're as networked in with the 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 broader federal mechanisms. Yeah. So this website says this lawsuit does not seek to undermine CHOP participants' message or present a counter message. The filing begins. So this is supposedly the filing, I guess. Uh, this is, of course, suing over... What, what did CHOP stand for? There was CHAZ, which was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. What did OP stand for? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay, maybe you can look that up yeah, while I'm reading here. Yeah. All right. 
chop participants' message or present a counter message. The filing begins. Rather, this is a this lawsuit is about plaintiffs' constitutional and other legal rights, of which were overrun by the city of Seattle's decision to abandon and close off an entire city neighborhood, leaving it unchecked by the police, unserved by fire and emergency health services, and inaccessible to the public at large, and then materially support and encourage a hostile occupation of the neighborhood. It's the Capitol Hill organized protest. Okay. The city's decision subjugated businesses, employees, and residents of that neighborhood to extensive property damage, public safety dangers, and an inability to use and access their properties, the legal team writes. And then they followed up with a statement later, which I don't think is part of the legal filing, but I think it's a response to the controversy about what we're about to talk about. And I I think we're going to come at this, though, from a different angle than what they're talking about. At Molly Moons, we hold race equity at the top of our list of priorities for how we want to make the world better. Black Lives Matter, a statement from a Molly Moons spokesperson read to CHS sent to CHS reads the lawsuit filed on Wednesday, June 7th is not meant to undermine that important message. It's seeking indemnification for the significant revenue losses and team morale impacts we experienced during and for many months after chop caused by the city of Seattle's decision to abandon the police precinct and stop responding to public safety needs in our beloved Capitol Hill community. Hmm. William, here's the question I have for you. Isn't this victim blaming? And what I mean by that is the whole idea behind CHOP and Black Lives Matter is they are rejecting the social contract because they say the current social contract is systemically oppressive. Therefore, they are against the system and want the system to be changed. No, not changed. Dismantled. Well, correct. So I was being too nice. Let's take them at their word. That's what they say. They want it torn down. They they want to dismantle the system. And this clearly says we hold race equity at the top of our list of priorities for how we want to make the world better. Black lives matter. So this is clearly saying that Molly Moons is in support of dismantling the system. However, they are asking the system to reimburse them for withdrawing its consent. So isn't this a sanction of the victim? They're asking them to sanction their behavior, even though who does it hurt the most? Yeah. The government, the system. That, that's what's insane to me about this, is this idea of, it's like a temper tantrum. It's like children making mistakes and then wanting the adults to bail them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is so this is like this is so weird because it's like <clears throat> don't they stand for or don't they believe that even having the police around is somehow oppressive? And then the police are like, "Okay, we can't we're not going to be here in this zone anymore. You've asked us not to, right?" Right. And then now you're complaining that they left and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Now, I kind of agree with them. I'm I'm still like they should have gone in there and cleaned out uh, the criminals, right? Like you can't define, you can't, uh, this is no different than, than I think I made this point way back in the day. This is no different than those uh, sovereign citizens, right? This is just the left sovereign citizens, right? And yeah, no, I agree completely that the police should have gone in. The issue, however, is that they're trying to have it both ways. Yeah. And the, what they're trying to have both ways is 
they will complain when a rich person or corporation uses tax loopholes to save money or make money. However, they're just doing the same thing here. This is pure. Look, I think this is pure pragmatism. Oh, crap. Our business lost a lot of money because of what happened. Oh, don't forget the morale. Which we actually agree with. Don't forget the team morale. Oh, team morale. Excuse me, the team morale. <laughs> Which is probably because you can't pay them as much, so the morale is down. So what's the easiest way to make that money back? Well, just to get it from the government and get it from the taxpayers, essentially. Yeah, that's the deepest so pockets. I, right. I think this is pragmatism. I don't think this really says anything about the beliefs they, the beliefs they consciously and subconsciously hold beyond the fact of narcissism. And what I mean by that is, I think one of the greatest issues with narcissism that I don't even know if we discuss is the inability to see the long-term consequences of your actions and your beliefs and your values. That I don't even know if you hold long-term beliefs, yeah. values, and actions. Yeah, you it can't. Just seems you be- can't because you you, the, you must feed the, the the monster, right? Right. So it's purely only- pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I don't I don't even know what like this this is uh this is the closest we're going to get to peak farce I think on this episode just just because this had to I had if I search Justin, if I search long enough, you know I'm going to find an article by uh the Babylon Bee or someone like that that is exactly this, right? That that some business suing uh suing the police because they didn't uh help them out in chop. Like there had to have been that, that story back during the, during the Chaz days. Yeah. Or, or something like that, or just being angry at the police or something like that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you say the closest to peak farce, but I don't know. The next story kind of is too. Oh man. Like if you, if you went looking, don't you think like a story about transgender Jester female to Transgester, sorry. A transgester, female to male, realizes it's not easy being a man. Don't you think that sounds like a Babylon Bee headline as well? Yeah. Yeah. And this this isn't the first time that this has come up, but man, this quote, or this, we've, we'll, we'll play it for, for the people here in a minute, uh, really concretizes it. But we've talked about this before, Justin, I think. And, and there's been other uh, trans men... Uh, some of them being on the more conservative side has been pointing stuff out like this for years. It's just the trans activists, I think, are are unable to. They, some this one is coming from more the leftist perspective, and there. And we'll, when we listen to the quote, Justin, think about how they can't they can't see what the real issue is because of their their leftism comes first, and their trans uh, transgenderism comes second. Yeah. So there's sort of three three issues. In regards to this clip, the first is what we were just sort of talking about, the pragmatism. I think that and we talk about with this with the concept of woman face. Right. I think there's man face as well. The pragmatism of. Converting of transitioning, transitioning is a better word. And what I mean by that, William, is how many people do you think actually think through the full context and all the facets of transitioning and how many of them just have a shallow surface level understanding of gender where, you know, gender for so long has been talked about being socially constructive and 
constructed and gender norms being socially constructed. Whereas to me, it's always been like, well, if you're a man and you want to wear dresses, who cares? You're still a man. But they would say a man who wants to wear dresses identifies as a woman. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, Justin. And I think it's kind of, there's two things that pop in my head and I, I, I haven't fully formed them. So you'll have to pardon me. But one is there's this concept of it being part of arrested development, right? Like, like it's yes. this you and, and and then the other part is this sort of utopian ideal, right? They have a utopian ideal of what it would be like to be a man if only they were. A I man. think I think the better word is platonic ideal. Yeah, platonic ideal. But but I think it connects to the utopia sort of concept that is very common on the left, right? And well, uh, I think that I think that's an important point. Um, the only reason I'm interrupting is I want to connect the two. It's the idea that platonic ideals are the utopia yeah and that's why the the allegory of the cave is so insidious because they're disembodied and disconnected ideals from reality and mm -hmm. that makes utopia impossible to achieve which is what this video is demonstrating this yeah. person uh, tried to achieve a platonic ideal and in doing so realized there's a reality to it which isn't part of the platonic ideal because reality is connected to reality it's a yeah Reality is connected to the physical world, and it's not just an, a disembodied idea that only certain people are capable of understanding. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's play the clip. I think we've teased it long enough. Well, hold on. There's one other thing I want to say. Oh, okay. After we listen to the clip, there's two things I want to talk about. I definitely want to talk about the substance of the ideas in the clip. However, before we do that, I have a question to ask, and I want to preface the 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 clip because this is about a two minute clip correct yes i want to preface it with the following question i have only seen this through the twitter account libs of tiktok which you you sent me yes and this is obviously edited i have never seen the full video so my concern is when we listen to this who edited this and why did they edit it and is it to make things look a certain way or can we legitimately talk about these issues we need to establish that before we can talk about the ideas okay. does that make sense yeah all right let's roll it nobody told me how lonely being a man is i had closer friendships with random women i met in the bathroom before i transitioned at clubs because of how open women are than i've had in my eight years of transitioning because women are just so much more vulnerable and deep than men. But to have known, and I think a lot of trans men feel this, is we knew what de depth felt like before we transitioned. We knew what it felt like to like have people want to hug us and to have people want to talk to us. And have a community. And then you transition and you're just a guy walking down the street that people cross the street so that they're not near you. And friendships are so much harder to build. And people are colder. And what's hard is none of this invalidates how real and raw women and people who are in marginalized groups feel about cis white men. All of that's valid. But I also now understand why the suicide rate is so much higher in men. Because this shit is lonely. And I'm an emotionally mature man. I know how to build friendships, and it is still 
really, really hard. Try to think about how you can, in your small little community where you feel safe, can reach out to the men in your life and just help them feel maybe seen for a moment. Or do do little little conversations to help their emotional maturity so that they can reach out to people and have deeper guy friendships. There you go. So, William, my first thing is, especially at the beginning, you hear the jump cut in the audio. Yeah. Is this something for us to be concerned about? Or can, let's say we could ignore those first five seconds and then listen to the rest and the point is still made. Do you think yeah. this is an agenda-driven video? I I don't detect anything being, being agenda-driven. I could be wrong. But the, that jump cut at, at the beginning could also be easily just a TikTok uh, thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, 100%. It just has to be asked to be... It does, it does. And I think it's good that we ask it because, you know, we know... uh, Libs of TikTok, for the most part, has... uh, will post her sources. And she posted the source for this as well without, you know, doing her best not to dox it, right? Um, But uh, it's... She tends to... tends to not make that... uh, that error too often but they do right she ever she does sorry um so it's good to it's good to think about that make sure that we have the full context but i think justin just even just the second half of the clip is enough i think context to really say like at least understand what what argument um this person is making yes and the second part of it here's what stands out to me the most i think if we look at what is said at the end and then backwards apply it to the rest of what is said, I think it makes things clear. And I think that this point has been in line with something we've been talking about on this podcast for years. I mean, do you remember the article, The Sexodist by Milo Yiannopoulos in 2014? Yeah, way back in the day. I think, you know, that was what? How many years ago was that? 2023. So that's nine years ago we talked about this. And, you know, recently something came up in the ringer where they said why so many young men are lonely, sexless and extremely online, which is that not what the sexist was about by Milo Yiannopoulos? Now, in that article, they're claiming that this has been going on since we discussed masculinity in the 20th century and that people have... Uh, always been asking if masculinity is in crisis, but I think this video is an example of the long-term effects of that question. And what I mean by that is at the end of this video, at the end of this audio, William, isn't it interesting that this person's solution is to reach out to women and to have in-depth conversations with women. So women will want to reach out and connect with people more. And presumably that implied gender of those people as men and that the answer to everything is to you know talking about your feelings more talking about your feelings more exactly (laughs) it makes me laugh right like (laughs) is feminizing society more further yeah right which is interesting to me because it's like you said you wanted to be a man you transitioned into being a man and as far as passability and again we're not supposed to you know when transgender advocates say You know, we're not supposed to talk about how well somebody can pass in order to say whether they're legitimately transgender or not. Right. That's one of their arguments. However, I am only talking about it in regards to this person bringing up, well, people are crossing the street when they see me. Now, this person does have a hat on, but it looks like this person can grow facial hair better than I can. 
Yeah. I, I don't think I, think, I, could grow I think that until much you heard this person speak, you would you would you would not suspect. I mean the right. voice gives it away because of the testosterone, but you know, you always get the same raspy voice. Right. Not quite in the right register. I'm not picking right. again, not picking on the person. I'm just saying that would be the only thing to give it away. Right. So the point being this person wanted to become male, became convincingly male. However, William, this is what I was talking about when I said it's platonic and where it's not thinking through all the consequences. Yeah. This person became male, but is clearly demonstrating to me more of a female psychology. Yeah. Because this person is yearning for female type of friendships more. Now, somebody might say, well, you know, why are friendships gendered? From where I stand, I don't think you can argue that biologically, and again, it genders, I don't necessarily disagree that gender is a spectrum. So some women are more like this, some women are less like this, some men are more like this, some men are less like this. But the idea that friendships that are based on being emotionally open and focusing on emotions tends to be a more female trait. And this person is looking for those type of friendships in men and to be honest, that's barking up the wrong tree. And then the answer provided to why men are lonely is that men aren't acting more like women. Yeah. Maybe men are lonely, William, because we're trying to get them to act more like women. And because of that, women aren't giving men what they need anymore. And men aren't getting what they need anymore because they don't know what to ask for anymore. Yeah. Well, and they're discouraged from doing the things that would would traditionally be male bonding, right? Like think of I think of the trash talk happening like I'm thinking back you know even back in the day like when I was uh in soccer, all the trash talk that happens. Do you think everyone hated each other and that's why we were trash talking each other? You know what I mean? No. Like to to yeah. yeah, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like it's no, that's because that's that's how men bond. Men men do bond physically too. Have you ever been in a fight with some friends? Growing up, you know, and I'm not saying that yeah, needs to happen in adulthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that needs to happen in adulthood. There's a, a mature version of that masculinity, but I'm just building it from from first principles, from observational data. Right? We know that this is true. Uh, we can even look in primates and see the similar uh, sorts of uh, differences between uh, bonding with females and males. Even mixed groups, males and females, bond differently. Right? Just just the presence of a female changes how males interact. And, uh, and this is just all, this is like psychology 101, isn't it, Justin? Yeah. I mean, let me expound upon the, the wrestling quip I just made. It is fundamentally different the way I bond with my, my female wrestlers than if I want to bond with any uh, of the male wrestlers. You want to know the quickest way to bond with a male wrestler? Wrestle him. Participate and practice with drills. What do you think the quickest way to bond with a, a female wrestler is? Uh, talk to them. Yeah. Be open. Talk to them specifically about what? Uh, how they feel about things. Right. I, it's not about me being open or vulnerable. Look, d- dude, don't don't pretend with most women, especially when they're teenagers and you're an adult male, that they care about your emotions. And they yeah. shouldn't. Yeah, to they be clear, shouldn't. they yeah. shouldn't. But if I talk to them and I, you know, I can tell them all day about technique. But the best way to coach them in order to get them to listen to the technique is to think about what their experience in the match was. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Men have experiences in the matches as well. But you could say that very quickly. When a guy comes off a mat, you can be like, man, you didn't go hard enough that time, huh? And they'll be like, yeah. And that's it. But with a woman, you have to be like, well, what did that feel like when that person went that much harder against you and, you know, you didn't go as hard as you could have? Like, is that something you're going to think about next time and then they'll say some things back about that and you'll have a conversation about that and then you go into the technique something i learned very quickly is with coaching girls you cannot lead with the technique whereas a guy like let me put it this way at the tournament over the past few days there was one guy where he's transferred from another school because we have school choice here in florida and he did something in a match and after i saw him all i said to him was i was like Dude, you, I'm standing there at the table helping the people work the table and you're looking at the clock the whole time. Whereas if you had just snapped that guy down and gone behind, you would have had two more points and won the match. Instead, you're trying to run out the time. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Somebody already said that, but I'll do that next time. Immediately, I could tell when he said that to me, he believed what I said and he was trusting me more. But with a woman, with a, a female athlete, do you think I could say that same thing? Do you think that immediately she's going to want to hear about the strategy no. or is she going to want to hear about, did you make that easier or harder on yourself by dragging it out for an extra 30 seconds? How did yeah. that feel for you? You were scared the whole time, right? Do we want to wrestle scared? Do you see the difference in there fundamentally? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a subtle difference that I don't think people understand because when we talk about transitioning, we talk about woman face and, and man face. And it's surface level. It's a shallow understanding of gender. Yeah. And I, I think I think one thing that really hit home for me uh, is, and, and, and there, like I said, this has come up before. I think there was a, another uh, uh, famous uh, transgender, uh, female to male, I can't remember uh, their name, um, talking about the, the lack of any sort of male spaces right and there's no there's very limited in society places where males are allowed to bond i mean yeah like is there like even sports is starting to get you know the the there, there's more co-ed only uh sort of participation right and yeah. there's no there's nowhere for uh for these sort of interactions that would be part of a healthy uh, adult masculine bonding um, to take place, right? Yeah, and and that's 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 really sad. Unfortunately, for this person, they're like you said, they're looking for the wrong thing from the wrong people, and that's yes. that's not that's not good, right? Like, um, and we know that this does contribute to male suicide. And Justin, don't you think that that this 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 kind of clash of reality versus their the the sort of utopian or platonic fantasy is probably the the cause of of a lot of trans suicide yeah completely I, I agree completely with what you just said it's a lot of the suicides for men is because we're trying to get them to act like women and we have expectations of men that oh don't show your feelings and blah 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 when it's just men show their feelings differently and we we're trying to make them act like women and then yes i, I think that with this platonic understanding, yeah. you know, I'm calling Men's, it woman Men face tend to share their face. feelings physically. Now, I don't yes. mean by fighting, but it is physical. That That's usually how, that's the first outlet. That's the, 
that's the automatic outlet for a lot of men's feelings, right? Well, I mean, we all know the cliche to- of uh, of someone like a you know, a fourteen year old teenager getting mad and punching a hole in the wall, right? Like this is yeah, we know this is true. Well, let me give you a, a personal example. I, I've been having a little bit of difficulty over the past six months or so with the sort of new social arrangement of the wrestling program with the coach of 30 years retiring and a new coach coming in and there being a no new social structure there. And part of the difficulty I have is I don't get to do the same things I did before. And what I mean by that is a friend pointed out to me when I said, you know, I need to start going to the gym more because practice would go to a certain time and I'd be so tired that I would just decide to skip the gym. And the friend pointed out, Hey, maybe that's part of the reason you're feeling the way you're feeling and you're as frustrated with things as you are and you're as upset about things you are and you're as unhappy as you are because I'm not taking the opportunity to express my emotions in that physical form. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. And, and even think of like, even, even the gym, Justin, I mean, it's funny that this just popped in my head. Even the gym, what are, how many gyms offer group classes that are all very female centric? Yeah. Right. Like, like, think about that. Like, I know, I, I know that sounds weird to say, but like the gym for the most part is like super isolating. Right. Like it's, it's super isolating, especially I compared the gym, Justin, I compared the gym to like soccer practice back in the day or when we would do training. Right. And how, how much more I'm going to put in scare quotes. Cause I don't mean social in the way of like a group Pilates class. Right. But it was way more social, right? Like doing all the weight training and stuff with the team was very different than doing it by yourself or doing it at the gym in modern times. Right. Yeah. Well, and I like lifting in a gym more than I like lifting alone. Yeah. Because I like that there are other people there pushing themselves while I'm pushing them myself. That makes it more enjoyable for me. Yeah. However, there's a direction I thought you were going to go with this. Okay. Have you seen all the content online recently over the past six months about women and gyms and about how they're posting videos of men looking at them oh, or yeah, men yeah. interrupting yeah. them? And they're claiming that, you know, yeah, we covered one of them, right? And they're, you know, they're claiming it's oppressive and, you know, they're essentially dressing like they're at the beach. If you look at the way they're, you know, the leggings are so tight and, you know, some of them are just wearing sports bras and now sports bras are getting even more ostentatious, right? As far as fashion design. And look, I don't really, look, I'm not going to bullshit, right? I may be married, but if you're going to dress like that in the gym, I'm going to look. And I don't care. And if a woman said, are you looking at me? I'd be like, yeah, you look nice. You got a problem with that? Like, I'm not trying to hit on you. Like, I don't know you. Just because I think you physically look good doesn't mean I'm interested in you. And I'm not insulting you. And I'm not trying to attack you or anything. It's just, you're dressed like that. You look good. I'm at a gym. Like, I'm going to look at you. Same thing at the beach, right? William, if you go to the beach and you see someone who's physically in shape, you're going to look at them, correct? Yeah, yeah. But that's a male perspective. And as you were saying about the gym, that's in these memes and everything, it's becoming more female because they're expecting the men to act like women and worry about their feelings in regards to what's going on at the gym. Not simply the, the, the physical level of, oh, I'm at the gym, I'm seeing a physical experience, 
right? How this is the thing. And this is actually the hardest thing when you're teaching girls to weightlift is the key to weightlifting is how the muscles feel while you're lifting. When you're doing one rep, you have to feel that tension in the muscle. And if you feel that tension, you're doing it right. And if you don't feel it, you're doing it wrong or you feel it in the wrong place, you're doing it wrong. But they don't always think in that way. So it takes longer to teach someone who isn't as attuned to that initially. Don't get me wrong. Some young, some young women are attuned to that and it's easier for them. Right. And I'm not making any statement on their femininity or masculinity, but it just tends to be that overall women have a harder time with that. So yeah. that's the kind of experience you're at at the gym. It's purely physical. Right. And part of that purely physical experience is if I'm in the mindset of physicality and then someone who looks good and is dressed in a way to accentuate that walks by, I'm naturally going to look. And again, there's nothing behind that. But yeah. the idea that you're supposed to feel guilty or control that is a very feminine idea that makes the space less masculine. Yeah. Do you disagree with anything I said, William? Completely agree. Yeah. And I think that that's this video is what this person is experiencing this idea of, and again, this idea of transitioning on a purely physical level and not realizing and this is something I would love to see studied, and maybe you know more about these studies, William. When you do gender-affirming care, when you have surgery, when you take hormones, how much of your psychology is actually changed? Because the basic premise here with gender dysphoria is your physical form does not match your psychology. However, this person has demonstrated in this video that this person's psychology was not as male as this person thought. Yeah. Do you disagree? No, I agree. I think, I think we, we, this is the contradiction that is modern transgender activists, right? Is that at once they say it's completely a social construct, but then make physical changes in the name of this, a totally made up concept to them, right? Yes. And and because they can't look at reality in either for, in order to uphold this contradiction, then the idea of a more masculine psychology and a more feminine psychology and understanding how that evolutionarily makes sense, right? How we know this is a, a truth statement about primates, it, it just can't it can't be considered. And unfortunately it it has to, it has to be everything, right? And uh, and I think some of the early uh, uh, LGB, so the people pu pushing against the T activists, uh, talked about um, save the tomboys, right? Because right. Th that was that was that was their motto for that reason, right? Understanding that there is a psychological difference here, and even the more masculine uh, of 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 someone who's female, a tomboy, is still a woman. And, and, and some tomboys can be beautiful. I mean, I'm thinking yeah. of. Do you remember Step by Step growing up? Yeah. The girl who played the tomboy. I mean, she was a perfect example. Now, that's more of a stereotype because it's a sitcom. Yeah. But there are some beautiful tomboys out there. Yeah. Wasn't Megan Fox and, a tomboy growing up? I think she. I mean, she kind of still is now with the way yeah, she dresses true. a lot of the yeah. time. No one would argue so, against her beauty or femininity. Well, except for her thumbs. 
That's just a joke. Because remember, there was the article that came out once that was like, Megan Fox has ugly thumbs. <laughs> yeah. I've never once looked at a woman's thumbs and been like, oh. But of course, I never looked at eyebrows before I got married either. And then my wife started talking about how important eyebrows are. So that's, again, the difference between men and women. Yeah. However, actually, that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. Is the focus on the physicality of transition transitioning in itself a more female perspective? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because mo- like I'm trying to think maybe it's just my personal experience being here in California, but I've found more convincing female to male transitioners than the other way around. No, and I, I agree think, with that. I think, you know, I don't want to draw any conclusions from that because that's just purely random, you know, my random uh sample. But, you know, maybe it says something about, you know, maybe it could say something, how about we phrase it that way, about the attention, attention that, uh, 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 of physicality in that way, right? Of, of the physical beauty, uh, still being retained, that psychology still being retained. Because if you think about it, what is, what is a, like, what does a man generally, uh, consider physicality wise in a woman? Like psycho- psychologically, it's usually more the general shape, right? It's not yes. the, you know, it's not the eyebrows, <laughs> right? Like right. it's like <laughs> it, when we're thinking of it just purely physically. Okay. So I think you've put a better point on it. Perhaps women are better at transitioning to men because they have more of a sense of finer details than men do physically. Yeah. 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 In that, in the beauty, in the sense of beauty, right? Yeah. Well, and in the sense of physical appearance, I mean, men... Yeah. stereotypically for a reason don't pay attention to the finer details of physical appearance <laughs> not at all right i don't right. think and I, i'm not saying that every man is slovenly right obviously no, going no. to the gym and eating well but it's just that like think of a men's gym clothes versus a woman's gym clothes, i think right? every man listening which let's be honest is a, a majority of our audience has forgotten to comb their hair in the morning and not realized until they're like are in the car and then be like crap dude i straight up get a haircut the type of haircut i get is so i don't have to comb my yeah. hair yeah like that's why i have the haircut i have and like that's how i know when i need to get a haircut because i i have a fade and if i get to a certain point that when i wake up my hair is matted down that means i know i need to go back to the barber because my precisely. hair is gone too long precisely what woman would do that with their right. hair a, lo- <laughs> a low maintenance haircut for a woman means it only takes an hour to get ready yeah so i want to sum this up with one further observation. And I want to talk about this in collectivism versus individualism. And I want to do it in the following way. I think we have had a very productive and honest conversation about this video and this discussion that's going on on the internet. Well, we did take the... But let's let's take the heteronormative approach here. For the most part. Well, yes, but that doesn't make it not productive. Because we're just sharing our heteronormative perspective and we disavow proactively and retroactively anything that's said and will be said on this show. So this isn't something that should be taken as a way to cancel us. But the discussion is productive. I would say it's productive, however, most from a collectivist standpoint. And what I mean by that is I'm not calling ourselves collectivists, but this person is suffering. Okay, William? Yeah. This person in this video is clearly suffering. I mean, whether it's short-term or long-term, in this video, there is crying going on. 
There is suffering going on. There is emotional suffering going on. But our discussion, if we look at it from a collectivist lens, well, then this person's suffering is good because this allows us to have this conversation and this allows us to make it so a greater number of people can understand gender and can understand their own personal experience. However, William, I am an individualist. So for me, what is most tragic about our discussion and about transgenderism and transgesterism is that this person is suffering. And what I mean by it is, I am not interested in these broader discussions as far as how they apply to individual lives. My entire point when I watch this video and discuss it is this person is needlessly suffering because this discussion is being had. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And And, Justin, I don't know if you dug into uh, the replies. A lot of the replies were sympathy, right? People trying to figure out ways to reach out, right? And But I think that fundamentally, William, what you're saying... That is the disconnect between the two sides. Yeah. People on the left, people who are saying transgender genocide is occurring, people who are saying, oh, well, you know, we're not trying to groom kids. The reason they're not seeing it as grooming children is they're seeing it from a collectivist standpoint. Oh, we're just trying to normalize the culture for everyone. They're not looking at the individual experience of each child and each person transitioning. So they are talking past the people who are saying, well, we're worried about each individual kid and we feel bad for these people who are suffering physically by going through these surgeries and psychologically, emotionally by dealing with the consequences of these transitions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I, 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 whenever we have, uh, frequently when we have these discussions, I always just think to myself, I can't imagine me growing up today right and having to deal with this right yeah like like i can't imagine it right like how can you how can you survive as an individual and keep that individuality with with this amount of pressure well and william i will tell you to finish up on this story before we go to the next part which is a different type of cultural pressure i did the next story The hardest thing about teaching, William, is I am not supposed to. And when I say supposed to, I mean objectively, morally. I'm not talking about governmentally. I'm not talking about socially. I'm not talking about social norms. I'm not talking about legal norms. I believe I am not supposed to tell you what to think. I'm supposed to get you to think. Now, I believe that if you think properly, you're going to derive that in, you know, human life is individual and individualism is superior. However... I don't think I should tell you that. I think you should figure that out yourself. And if you don't, I, I think well, you that's, can that's, only figure that out yourself. Oh, you that, can correct. Only. That's even a more fundamental point, right? I am taking away your own humanity by telling you what to think. Correct. Even better said. However, what's difficult is when you see kids struggling with these issues, when you see kids who, to me, aren't transgender saying they're transgender because... They don't understand the differences between the genders and they don't understand what it means to be a man and what it means a woman. They don't understand more fundamentally their own experience with the world. And they're so confused that that confusion is being, I don't want to use right wing language to say exploited or groomed, right? But that 
is being couched in a certain conversation where I just want to say to them, well, focus on your individual experience. Don't worry where you fit into things. Don't worry about fitting in. Because remember, even fitting in when we were growing up was an important discussion. And that was so debilitating and destructive. Because yeah. I can tell you that hurt me too. Like, oh, yeah. that's what the entire term midside means. It's not about fitting in. It's not about being in the in crowd or the out crowd. Just be you. Just be you. That's what the midside is. And it's really tough teaching, William, not to say that to people. Not can to you imagine, like, imagine, imagine I, if we had sitcoms today. We really don't have sitcoms today like we did in the 80s or 90s. You know, there was always episodes about learning that fitting in wasn't the most important thing, right? Yeah, we, well, we talked it. about that with that Boy Meets World. <laughs> Boy Meets World, yeah. yeah. But that you can't have that theme today, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to leave this discussion of this clip. Uh, I think it's a very interesting clip. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about, though, this week, farcically, because I think it's related to all of these ideas of social constructionism and collectivism. And it's the response to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber's death this week on the internet. And the reason I bring this up is uh, Midsider Lucid Fitzpatrick messaged me this morning before we were recording and started talking about it. And what he posted is he tweeted and he shared his tweet with me and the Past 24 hours, it's become clear to me. Sympathy for evil is the theme of our culture and will define this age. And what he's, of course, referring to, William, is have you seen the the outpouring of support or sympathy for Ted Kaczynski now that he's dead? Where yeah. essentially there's a vast, and again, it's hard to tell if it's just the same 50 people online that Michael Bay talked about saying these things. But that essentially he was a victim, and that is why he did what he did. Have you I'm seen waiting, that? I'm waiting as a fellow uh, Michigan alumni. Uh, I'm waiting for Michigan to issue a statement, um, you know, expressing his victimhood. It's it's sickening, Justin. It's absolutely sickening. Now, right? I I agree completely. It's sickening. But let's dig into it a little bit. The idea is, I guess, when he was at Harvard, Kaczynski. There was some type of experiment supposedly done on him that messed with his psychology, and that psychology is what turned him into the social recluse and then eventually violent person that committed the Oklahoma City bombings. So again, William, is this looking at Ted Kaczynski from an individual perspective or collectivist perspective? Yeah, yeah, we're looking at we're looking at it only through the so, so, uh, sociological ed, uh, 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 perspective. You know, right. And and William, this is something we always talk about on the show, which is going to help us transition into the art section. But this is looking at Ted Kaczynski naturalistically, yeah. where his own choices don't matter. He is a result of the system and the system made him a certain way. And we see this in many stories. Right. Think about the Joker movie. Is this mm-hmm. not looking at Ted Kaczynski as if he is Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? Yeah. Is that not what that movie was about? Is this not Dexter as a real human? Or the the prime example is, isn't this the way that people fundamentally misunderstand Breaking Bad? Now, I ask that because, William, have you seen Breaking Bad? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a okay. great, great show showing the destruction that, that a person can bring on his own, you know, 
his own psychology, right? Well, how evil is necessarily destructive. Yeah. I mean, I I think that when it says breaking bad, it's what happens when someone becomes bad. Why do they become bad? Why do they become evil? And what's the necessary endpoint? I don't think there was any other way that show could have ended except in him dying. Right. Because if you're more evil is anti-life. Right. If you're completely evil, which he becomes, he doesn't become completely evil until the series finale and then he dies. That's the way it had to be. However, William, do you think the show is meant to garner sympathy for him? No, not, neither him nor his wife. Right. By the end, you yes. you hate everyone. Maybe not Jesse. Yes. Right. But no, I think Jesse is supposed to be a victim in the show. I don't think yeah. you're supposed to feel bad yeah. for him. I think you're supposed to feel bad for him. I don't think you're supposed to necessarily love him, but I think you're supposed to see him as a victim of evil yes. because he's yes. he's I mean, he's the. There's not really a difference between Jesse and the person we showed in the last video. Right. Right. That's a great point. But how many people see him as a victim? Yeah, they see him as almost an anti-hero in the sense of like someone who you're supposed to like, right? Right. Oh, they say he's a victim of the healthcare system. He's the victim of American capitalism. Ah. And that's Ah. what they say the... uh, this, that's what they say the show is about, right? Because he has a whole thing about building a drug empire. And they say, oh, the show is about how capitalism is evil and it puts people into bad situations. And his his not being able to pay for his cancer treatment and his family and his eventual death are all a result of the American system. Whereas, you know, he is just a narcissist using all that as a rationalization to commit evil acts, which is, I think, what people miss. But all of this is a result of the messaging people have been receiving, the collectivist messaging that has taught them that things are not their fault. Everything is external. You look, yeah, you look externally. You look at the system to find the cause, not your choices to find the cause. Right. And that's why... I mean, it gets into the metaphysical versus the man-made, right? And and people people not saying, you know, even amongst the man-made, you have to decide what things I can change reasonably, which things I I have to just deal with. Yeah. And that's why people are seeing Ted Kaczynski as a victim and they're responding in the way they are. Same thing when the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff came out. Because who was the Jeffrey Dahmer show made by? It was made by the guy who made Glee. The guy who made American Horror Story. And what kind of perspective does he have? Ryan, I can't remember his last name. What's his name? Ryan what? I don't know. But very collectivist. Right, very collectivist and very naturalistic. Even though that guy is an interesting hybrid, right? Because he takes elements of romanticism in the way he's portraying things technically and aesthetically, but ultimately thematically, he's more naturalistic. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a good point to transition into our art section. Let's do it in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. 
Uh, we love when you do that. You know, it helps us make the show even better. As you just heard, Midsider Lucid Fitzpatrick had a big influence on the show this week. I think that was a really important discussion we had about Ted Kaczynski, the cultural reaction to it. I think it's related to the the video of the discussion of male versus female experiences of life. And I think it's related to art and romanticism versus naturalism. So I think that kind of discussion that Midsider Lucid encouraged is what this show is all about and why the Midside was created, why this podcast was created. So we would love for you to join the Discord channel and contribute. Just go to the midside.com slash podcast or the midside.com, click on any episode link, and in there you'll find a Discord join link and you can help shape the show. All right, William, this week I saw Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Now, I am not up on my Transformers lore. And what I mean by that, William, is did you know there were like certain Transformers that were more like animals? I remember seeing it, but I think that, you know, I watched the 80s Transformers and then uh, then when the, when, when the lore continued, I don't think I really followed it that much. But weren't there like right. dinosaurs too and like Yeah, I know about the Dinobots, but they're yeah. Dinobots. Like these yeah. these animals in this are called the Maximals and they I... look like they're just like a species of animals that are large that augmented themselves with technology that allows them to transform. And like it's very strange, right? Yeah. Because there's a Power Rangers out and this isn't the review of the movie. This is just like an, an observation about the mythology of this. There's a Power Rangers element to this where they're called the Maximals, but it's not until the final battle that the leader of the Maximals, Optimus Primal, get it, instead of Optimus Prime, Uh uh, he goes, okay, Maximals, maximize. And then all of a sudden, they're all like five times bigger than they were. And I was like, well, why didn't you just do that the first time the bad guy fought you guys? Like, why are we waiting till the end of the movie? You know what I mean about Power Rangers, how they always <laughs> yeah. waited to like, yeah. oh, we're not going to like get our Zords when this first starts at the beginning of the half hour. We're not going to go till the end. Of course. Like, why are you waiting for the firepower? So that was very strange, but that's more trappings of the genre, right? Here, here's my one sentence review of Transformers Rise of the Beasts. No amount of cool factor can counteract an entire film built around teaching your franchise's iconic character why he shouldn't be racist. The most bizarre thing about this entire movie, William, was it was like two different movies in one. It started out with this opening scene about the villain coming in and invading and destroying the Maximals planet, the beasts. And then there's like a key that helped the the trans warp key, which helps them travel through time and space, which, by the way, no traveling through time and space ever happens. Like you would think the trans warp key, like there'd be time travel or something, (laughs) but they have to then hide it because if this, this eater of worlds gets the trans warp key, then the entire universe dies. Right. But after this opening scene, there is then about half an hour of these two minority characters living in Brooklyn who are just being oppressed by white people. And I mean that very literally. Okay, this woman is an intern at a museum and this artifact comes in that is clearly not of Earth origins and she's trying to study it and say something to it. But the museum that she works at, 
Her boss is a white lady who won't listen to her at all. And the white lady is completely incompetent. And I'm watching this and I'm like, is this really the fantasy world people live in where they think if you're that able, then your boss is that unable that you're just going to stay an intern and not be listened to? Like, this is literally a, a person who is like translating these ancient texts of all these different Incan and Aztec Aztec languages and hieroglyphics and all of these things. Yeah. But the white lady's mean to her and says, go get my coffee and pick up my dry cleaning. It's like, if you were that able as an intern, nobody's going to care. And then the other side of it is the character played by the main guy from, uh, in the Heights. Remember that movie? Yeah. Uh, he lives with his mom and his younger brother in Brooklyn and the younger brother has sickle cell disease and can't get health care payment because the mom doesn't make enough money. And even though he's a veteran on the armed forces, he can't get a job because the white person who's going to hire him cancels the interview because he did something when he was in the military that proves he's not loyal to the United States and can't work in a team. So he's basically unhirable. There's nothing he can do to get a job to help pay for the health care for his his younger brother. So the whole system is take, against him. I was going to say, he can't take his younger brother to the VA? That's not how that works? I, I mean, he can't get any job. I mean, I would at least start working at a grocery store to pay. But that's that's a different discussion. The only reason okay. I say all of this is then, you know, he, of course tries to get into a life of crime and tries to steal a car because as you oh, do, the only reason right? people, well, because it's right. The only reason people commit crimes is because the system is racist and They're oppressing them. Yeah, exactly. Right. And of course the car he tries to steal is a transformer. And then he gets sucked into this whole battle with the transformers, the transformers, the Autobots realize the transwarp key can get them home to Cybertron. And Mirage, the car he tries to steal, who's a Transformer, ends up being his friend. And Mirage is like, oh, well, our friend Noah can help us get the key. But then, and here's the, here's the rub. Optimus Prime is like, no, humans are only out for themselves. And they'll do things to protect their planet and not care about us. And I can't trust him because of that. So we will not work with a human. How about you can't trust him because he's the kind of person who would steal cars? <laughs> right but does that portray racism does that make optimus prime a racist ah okay i see do you see how they've made optimus prime a racist now it's yeah. speciesist as my wife pointed out it's really species yeah. but you see how it's a metaphor for racism yeah yeah because then noah doesn't like noah does exactly what optimus prime says he tries to destroy the key and there's a point where optimus prime has to beg him not to but then ultimately optimus prime learns they have to destroy the key Right. Oh, and then the whole thing, right? Here's the, here's the rub, right? The whole thing ends with not only self-sacrifice, but the most stark statement I've ever seen as the house cell, they believe it works. And what I mean by that is at the end, in order to protect earth and protect the universe, Optimus Prime is going to sacrifice himself for everyone. Except then Noah decides no, we're not going to let that happen, and I'm going to sacrifice myself to try and save Optimus Prime. So, racism cured. See how racism is cured, yeah, William, here? Because yeah. Optimus Prime 
was going to sacrifice himself for the people he was racist against. And then Noah is going to sacrifice himself for the people he was racist against, the, the Autobots. However, then any every other Autobot and Maxible then is willing to sacrifice his or her life in order to save Optimus Prime. So then Optimus Prime doesn't die. And this is what we always say, William. Isn't the left's argument, isn't the collectivist argument always not enough people buy in? Yeah. It's not the if ideology only everyone that's wrong. would sacrifice themselves completely, then we would right. have utopia, right? Right. And that's exactly what the ending of this movie is. So this is movie is about how you fight racism by everybody self-sacrificing. And that's the only way to not let evil Yikes. win. Not to mention that the ultimate evil in the movie is just a creature that wants to eat every planet in the world. So is that cre- is that creature racist, William? Well, yeah, I mean there's minorities on this planet. Okay, yes, in the leftist perspective. But actually, is that is that creature racist? No, because they don't care. They'll eat any planet. They don't care what race your planet is, right? I don't know. They're, I saw them take a left turn. They they prefer those uh, uh, Venusians over us. Turn, <laughs> turn towards Venus first. They'll eat any planet. They're not racist. But yeah, and, and that's the thing. Michael Bay produced this but did not direct this. And I have to believe that's part of why it is the Wait, way it did you is. have to look that up or was the lack of shaky cam uh the uh the that's indicator? true and that's the thing i want to be clear about right that's why in my review it says no amount of cool factor can counteract because this is the way they're seducing people william this is not a terribly made movie like it's fun and people were cheering like there's a whole subplot of bumblebee dying and being brought back to life and you know there are cool epic movie moments and the cinematography is beautiful at times. And the soundtrack is really well done at times. And, and you know, there's some cool action in this movie. So this is not like a, a terrible, awful movie. It's just that when you look at it thematically and story-wise, it makes no sense. And it, it's, it's pretty repulsive. But it wasn't one that, like, I was super angry about because I could enjoy it in the moment. It's just one of those where I had to roll my eyes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So ultimately... Because of that, I gave Transformers Rise of the Beast a no-bro rating or a 2 out of 5 rating. Okay, that's a movie that came out, that is out. Let's talk about movies that are going to come out. We're going to do trailer take down here. I put the trailers in Discord usually the Saturday before we record. I actually, William, did you know I did the outline and the trailer takedown and everything while sitting at the wrestling tournament. So between, <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> whenever I was, I had my own computer there and I had a hotspot set up. And between running the mats, I would come over and find trailers or find news articles and everything. That's why, like, at the last minute, I added the Ted Kaczynski thing. Because I wasn't, like, plugged in this week. Uh, yeah, so I was still able to get them up on Saturday. That's when I usually put them in the Discord. That's so you can watch a trailer whenever you want. Maybe you watch them all before the episode, you watch them all after the episode, or you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Island stars Michael Jai White, and I think what happens is he goes home to the island he's from, when his brother dies and finds corruption and tries to save the island? I don't know. Look, I like the idea of, like, here's a guy, and he realizes this is a war, and he's just going to settle this in the way he knows how. It's sort of like an old Steven Seagal premise. However, my problem with this movie, William, with this trailer, is the production. 
And what I mean by this is, to me, the real metric for low production is how much effort is being put in, how serious you can tell people are taking, how seriously you can tell people are taking the project. And when I watch this, even the performances, it just looks like everybody phoned this in. It doesn't look artistically, cinematography wise, cinematographically. I don't know if that's a word, but acting wise, it just doesn't look like anyone's trying very hard. This looks very, very low budget, low rent in that sense. Where it used to be you were low budget and low rent because you couldn't pay for talented people. So that's why it would come across this way. Think of like a movie like The Room where they couldn't, they didn't have the money to pay for talented people. Where nowadays talented people can do things at a low budget or the talented people are more affordable. I mean, I don't think anyone involved in this is not talented. It just seems like they didn't try. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, it, it feels like they were trying to go... Like it, This story has the trappings of being like an old-school Western, right? Like someone comes back, you know, yes. uh, to their to their hometown and finds it in disarray and, and then has to bring justice, right? So it's a tried-and-true sort of uh, a thing, and the setting is interesting. Being an island, you can play around with that. But yeah, I'm with you, Justin. Like it, like everything just seemed like, like oh, we're just gonna paint by the numbers here and say the words. You know, it it didn't seem like this was, I don't know. This seemed like a cash grab. Is that weird feeling to have when you're watching a trailer? So I don't know. Tackle, tackle. Second trailer. Confidential informant stars Dominic Purcell and Mel Gibson, and I would say it's the opposite of the last trailer where. The acting talent is great. You can tell they're trying really hard in this trailer and the performances are strong and the cinematography is beautiful at points in this trailer, but I have no idea what the fuck the conflict is in this trailer. I don't know who the informant is. I don't know what they're informing are. I don't know why they're in danger. I mean, I get that there's like law enforcement and criminals and they're fighting each other and there's guns and violence, but I I don't like, I don't know any of the relationships between each other. I just know that they have a good cast, and they tried it really, really hard in this. But still, this shows the other extreme doesn't work either, because I have to have some idea what's going on, and I don't. So, tackle. Tackle? That was a perfect use of that, <laughs> by the way. I'm earning my salary today. Uh, Justin, this looks like the last, uh, uh, gosh, movie I watched uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna blank on the name. Where they had the aging actor just do voice lines, and uh, and is that what they're doing with this here? Or is is he just gonna be in his office the whole time, just saying voice lines, and 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 like, you know, all the action taking place from this from all these other people? <clears throat> yeah, it's I sort of reminiscent of Val Kilmer in the new Top Gun, or all the late Bruce Willis movies before yeah. he was too mentally deficient to be able to act anymore. Yeah, and it was one of the Bruce Willis movies that I'm thinking of that I, I, I remember watching. I was just like, he, they just have him here for voice lines, you know? Like, he's just standing there and saying something, and he's clearly behind a green screen, or in front of a green right, screen. But Mel Gibson, his performance is good, even though that's what yeah. he's doing, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The performance looks great, but what the fuck is going on here? Is this like uh, <laughs> The Shield, right? Like, are they trying to do The Shield, but like a movie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Tackle. <sighs> Tackle. Third trailer. Till Death Do Us Part is a horror movie that's a cross between Ready or Not and Scott 
Pilgrim. This woman becomes a runaway bride. She decides she doesn't want to marry the man she loves. It doesn't say why in the trailer. I'm assuming they're going to go into that in this movie. Because when she then decides not to get married, she's hunted by the groomsmen and has to fight back against them. Now, I'm of two minds with this. One... This looks pretty cool, right? I love Scott Pilgrim. This looks like a unique take on a horror movie, right? I like the idea of her fighting back against all this. It's kind of very Kill Bill as well with the the, the idea that she's fighting. And I think there's more to the mythology here where they say you can't get out that easy and blah, blah. It seems like what she was marrying in, it was more than a marriage. It was some sort of group or cult or something she was joining and she decides to get out of it, which is why she can be like, I love you, but I still don't want to join this. However, that leads to my second frame of mind with this, especially when you consider they're all men. She's a woman. There's one scene where like she takes her heel and she like uh, punches up into the guy's groin. This seems like it could be a heavily feminist revenge film. However, at the same time, horror, when you look at something like Alien, has a history of female protagonists fighting back and doing something traditionally non feminine right focusing on the physical experience rather than the emotional experience so that makes me sort of i'm wary of what the thematic content of this but i'm willing to be more forgiving of it especially as this is creative and again the production looks good so there's stuff to worry about in this movie but it's in a genre i like and it's novel enough that i'm willing to give it a chance even with my reservations hug Hug? Yeah, I guess I have less faith, given all the evidence of all the movies that have been made in the last five years, that we can have uh, this the fight choreography be anything other than the woman is equal to the man. Now, hear me out on this, Justin. Even Kill Bill is a perfect example of this, <clears throat> where it's done right. If you remember, she she gains advantage through surprise tricks technique right like that's that's how she wins fights right it's not it's not that she's stronger than bill that makes her win right like physically muscularly stronger than bill and there's a lot of attention to detail tarantino put a lot of attention to detail into making those fights that way right the women have to be more cunning to make up for the their lack of raw strength i don't think i don't think any modern movie right now can do that right like it well, just I will not, say is not possible. that is I will say that is part of where my thematic concern comes in, because a lot of the portrayal of this seems to be the reason she's going to win is that the men are incompetent. Yeah. Uh, it seems yeah. like all of the males are flawed in some way that makes them incompetent. And to me, I worry that's a statement on masculinity. And you are 100 percent correct. You may think I'm nitpicking on the choreography, but that is because it bleeds into the theme, right? And it, and if you I, and since horror is not my genre, that pushes me the other way, right? I'm not willing to give this one a chance based on this trailer, so I'm going to tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Poor Things stars Emma Stone, and uh, now his my brain is farting. Mark Ruffalo. I, I kept going the Hulk, the Hulk. Well, who played the Hulk, right? Mark Ruffalo. It's still crazy to me Mark Ruffalo played the Hulk. Like, how did they pull that off? Yeah, anyway, this trailer looks really interesting. 
And what I mean by that is it's very imaginative in the way that it is visually portrayed. And the essential idea is it's like a Frankenstein type movie where Willem Dafoe's character brings Emma Stone back to life and she's learning how to live while she's brought back to life. Here's the problem I have with this, William. The way this trailer is cut is obviously deceptive. It's very short. And it seems like they're intentionally leaving things out. And what I mean by this is it popped up. Did you see it's from the director of the the movie The Lobster? The one starring Colin Farrell about like people who turned into lobsters? And again, that. that movie was very inventive. Right, this idea that you have to fall in love a certain time frame or you turn into a lobster or whatever that was. And I wanted to watch that because I heard good things about it and I thought it was inventive. But then I watched it and it was boring as fuck. And that's what I think this movie is going to be. I think they literally took every interesting and high energy moment and put it in this trailer in order to make this movie seem like it's not a boring slog fest. So for that reason, it's a tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I, I too got nothing but my God, is this going to be boring? That's all I saw. So I'm tackle. Tackle. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our trip. <clears throat> what did we learn? Well, just like we said at the start of the show, I learned that the president freed me. As commander-in-chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. I'm no longer banned. I'm going to say that next time I get a ban on Twitter or something. Justin, what did you learn this this week? Uh, through our awesome discussion, I learned how important individualism and collectivism continues to be, right? The difference between the two. And something to look for is to make sure we're not just being totally biased towards individualism because... I think when you understand what's going on through that lens, it makes things make a lot of sense. But I also want to make sure I'm not oversimplifying things. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking to the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is that, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so through the midside.com slash store, pick up some merch, the midside.com slash the cut, pick up my novel, or you know, you can go to midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals and support us. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That is how we keep the lights on. And of course, most of all, the best way to support the show is to tell a female friend. And hopefully you understand why we say that after the discussion in this episode. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Ebonsneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a Kaczynski-free day. So this whole CHOP lawsuit, uh, should I file my lawsuit for uh, COVID reparations? I mean, that's essentially what the lawsuit is. And I think if they are successful in Seattle, then you should use the precedent. I don't know how precedent goes across state lines, but I think you should use the cultural precedent to definitely go uh, to definitely do so. And then hopefully other people will do that going forward, too.
Yeah, yeah. I should sue the Long Beach Health Department, uh, the, the the governor, uh, the county, all sorts of people. They're deep pockets, right? Yeah, and I don't even mean pragmatically. I mean we talked about it previously. Yeah. What did, what did you call it before? Was it COVID reparations? COVID reparations, I think. Yeah, because they wanted forgiveness, right? And I want reparations. Yeah. They wanted yeah. amnesty. Sorry, they wanted amnesty, and I want reparations. That was the term I was thinking of, amnesty. 